Thank you, and thank you everyone for the gifts of music that you gave. certainly enriches our celebration so much by what you have offered. As I listened to Kevin's messages this Advent, our pastor brought to us a number of messages about the unlikeliness of those to whom he came, those who would proclaim his news, those who would worship him, as he summarized this evening. I was struck by the fact that this was all done by design, by plan, and by purpose. Jesus wasn't brought by invitation. He didn't come as a result of uh, a welcoming that was regular and exuberant. He sort of snuck into the world. But his coming presented a problem, not only for Herod, but for all of us, not least of which Mary and Joseph. Quite unawares, quite unexpectedly, quite out of the blue, they are confronted with startling news, life-changing. And so we read, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is God's word. Indeed, let us remember that the incarnation was not our idea. Jesus came to his own uninvited, and his welcome was less than exuberant. God sent his son to earth at no human invitation. This was imposed upon us, and thank God it was. Mary's response to this news is very helpful because we not only have to respond to the news of the Incarnation, but also in our own lives to all kinds of unexpected and even unwelcome challenges that come our way. Something scary and unexpected is taking place in Mary and Joseph's life. Something may likewise come into mine this year. How do I respond? Scholars have noted from the beginning that her response is a stellar one, an outstanding one. But what are the specifics of it? 
Her faith is expressed, but, but how? Let's remember that this Annunciation was a shock to Mary as much for social reasons as for theological ones. At that time, she was a young girl, maybe 14, 15 years old, as Kevin has said, and very poor. At the dedication of the Christ child, of course, only two birds were presented as an offering because only two birds could be afforded. She and Joseph were the poorest of the poor. They were peasants, and they will face disgrace over this news. Both she and Joseph of the line of David have brought shame upon that line, or so it seems. And yet, this insignificant and disgraced and poor unwed mother is one of the most famous human beings in history. We will all be forgotten in a few generations. What makes her now remembered to this day? It is how she responded to God and his message, which I just read from the angel. What does this faith look like? And how can her response help us in our own circumstances, though not called upon, of course, to bear the Son of God in any way, we still face challenges that are daunting, sometimes feeling overwhelming. The first thing Mary does is to think. Mary was greatly troubled, verse 29, and his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The word for wondered there is really stronger than just sort of musing. It's dialogistico. It means she dialogued with herself. She talked to herself. She thought intently about this. She delved into the ramifications of what it could mean. It means Mary was trying to figure out how this could be true. It was stunning. It was overwhelming. It was so unexpected. And not just unexpected, like perhaps a, a gift of a a pie or an invitation to a meal, but unexpected in enormous proportions. Her life would never be the same again. She is struggling to understand and to believe what she was hearing. And she had as much trouble processing this by faith and understanding it as any of us would. And as we often find ourselves in circumstances that we feel unprepared for. Indeed, the Annunciation of the Incarnation is a major challenge to all of our life paradigms and all of our worldviews. There is no place in the world, and there has never been a place in any culture of history, where there are not enormous barriers to believing such fantastic news. She's not the only one who wondered. How could the Creator God of the universe come into a girl's womb to be born as a human being through her? If you can explain that today, 2,000 years later, you, you go to the head of the class. People have never been able to fully comprehend or explain how that could happen. We must be willing, as she was, sometimes to try to process challenges that don't make sense. Why would God lead me thus far and then change course? Why would, when things were just about ready to come to fruition, everything come apart? Why would I find unexpected news from a number of sources? Such things engage the heart and move us emotionally, but they also affect the mind. And you notice that the first thing that Mary did was to think, to ponder, 
to respond by intellectually reasoning it through as best she could. The second thing she does is to express her doubts and openly. She says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's willing to be honest about her uncertainties and her questions, even to an angel. Now, it's one thing to express those things privately to a friend, but in the presence of an angel who's proclaiming these things, it takes a certain amount of courage to say, I don't know how this could be. Mary is expressing neither blind faith nor is she being sarcastic. She's expressing honest doubts, humble doubts, doubts that make her vulnerable. Such doubts, though, are open to belief. When we face such things, we doubt God's love, we we doubt his wisdom, we doubt his power. Do as Mary did. When you honestly bring your doubts before the Lord, you are asking for information, for more reasoning perhaps, and you might get some. Mary did. For we have now something very wonderful in the text. If Mary had never expressed her doubts, the angel perhaps would never have spoken to her one of the great statements in the Bible in verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's a tremendous and memorable promise. I'm so grateful for her doubts because that statement has been comforting and guiding me for many years. Nothing will be impossible with God. The more you are willing to express your doubts honestly and humbly, the more you bring up your honest questions, the further you and the people around you are going to get. Some will refuse to raise doubts because they are skeptical and hard-hearted and they don't even want to deal with it. And others because they think it's somehow disrespectful to not have instant faith of of great proportions. But like Mary, we can learn that our doubts can lead to something wonderful, to more information and greater confirmation. So she thinks, she doubts humbly. Thirdly, she surrenders. She gives in. Eventually, when confronted with unwelcome news or startling circumstances, we do have to come to this point. After she hears the angel's reassuring response to her question, she makes her move. She pushes her chips forward all on one number. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Many of us resist the claims of Christ because of what it may cost us. Jesus tells us to count the cost in Luke 14, but most of us want to negotiate the cost rather than count it. We're willing to give up some things, but not the right to determine what those things are. A famous preacher once said, when it comes to following Jesus, the hardest thing to give is in. Abram was called to leave his country and family. Where am I going, he asked. I'll show you later, said the Lord. Follow me. Come in. God wants Abraham to give up the right to determine the best way for him to live. And the same is true of Joseph, and the same is true of Mary, and the same is true of us. Let's look at Joseph. He too is greeted with the unexpected news from the angel we read in Matthew 1. What does it take to do what Joseph and Mary did? 
Courage. There are many places in the world where you will be walking in Mary and Joseph's shoes if you're a professing Christian, and people just won't understand, and you'll not be able to make them understand, and your reputation and your standing among them may suffer. But when we give our lives to Christ, we say something like this. I do not know all that you're going to ask of me, Lord, but I'll do whatever you say in your word, whether I like it or not. And I'll accept patiently whether you send into my life, whatever you send into my life, whether I understand it or not. In other words, you simply cannot know ahead of time all the things that God will ask of you. But Mary and we must give up the right to determine whether or not we will do God's will. Abram, Joseph, Mary, and so many others are called to walk this road where we can't see the end from the beginning, where we don't know how it's going to turn out. What wonders came into Mary's life were not apparent at that moment. That she would see all that she got to see in the bearing the Messiah was not clear to her in those moments. But she trusted. So why did God send the Savior Prince into the world through a pregnant and unwed peasant girl? To show us that he does not do things the way the world expects them to be done, but in the opposite way altogether. My strength is made perfect in weakness, he teaches us. Jesus will win salvation through weakness, suffering, and death on a cross. He will achieve power and influence through sacrificial service. And if you have Jesus in your life, you will taste much of the same treatment and glory. But his salvation works like this. Suffering leads to glory and death to resurrection, so there is nothing to fear. Fear not, said the angels. So Mary and Joseph were willing to do for Jesus what Jesus was going to do for them. He became obedient to his father, even unto death. And when God called them up, called them, they gave up their right to self-determination in their own circumstances. If you really want Jesus in the middle of your life, you have to give up control and drop your conditions. You have to give up the right to say, I will obey if... He does not want to be your consultant. He does not want to negotiate. He demands to be our Lord. Mary does one last thing that can instruct us, and it too is important. She goes to Elizabeth, we read, who speaks to her in the power of the Holy Spirit. That must have helped Mary a great deal. It certainly encouraged her, and it might even have helped her to understand her situation in a new way. As soon as Elizabeth is done speaking, Mary breaks into a song, the Magnificat, which is built upon many Old Testament images of the divine Messiah. Perhaps Elizabeth helped her understand that what this meant in a richer and deeper and more biblical way. The fourth thing that Mary did was she sought community. She consulted with others in the midst of this stunning news. She does not appear to understand at all until she goes to see another believing sister. And they talk together. And they worship. So, like Mary, you and I need to think intently and doubt openly and eventually surrender completely. But it won't be enough to do that alone. Without trusted friends around you, 
we are too weak. Mary had Joseph. She had Elizabeth. Joseph had Mary. They had each other. Some of us don't want people to know that we're feeling overwhelmed, having spiritual struggles, until we've gone through them and we can tell people about them in the past tense. But in the end, you're not going to make it without community, without others to bear the burden with you. So Mary was a nobody who became somebody that we all know simply because God came to her and she responded in the humblest possible way. She reasoned. She doubted. She surrendered. And she communed with others. So must we. Let us pray. We marvel at the story, O Lord, and we wonder at the news of the coming of your only Son. And we appreciate Mary's response. But in our own lives, there are challenges beyond measure, and uncertainties that we, with which we grapple, and unexpected news that comes suddenly upon us. Help us to respond in, in faith as she did, by thinking things through, by honestly doubting and expressing those doubts to you that we may listen and hear back by surrendering completely and by continuing to live within the context of a believing community that can support us during these crushing and surprising times. Thank you for the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ, for sending your Son to be that Savior who could make such a difference practically in our lives. And we praise him and you now in Jesus' name. Amen.